And with an estimated uh, uh, 348 deaths per day among this group, in less than five years, none will be left. Uh, The group that I'm referring to are those who served us in World War II, our World War II veterans. Just to kind of show you how rare they are, how many of you in this auditorium today remember World War II? Raise your hands. You, re- you remember World War II. You, were, you lived through it. Okay? Five. Five. They remember Hitler. They remember Churchill. They remember FDR. Didn't, didn't Joe serve in World War II, Ruth? Was Joe, did Joe serve in World War II? Yeah, he served. Uh, Dad was too young to, but I know his bro- he had two brothers or three? Three brothers that served in World War II. Uh, Raymond, did you have any... Bre- okay, okay. Yeah. So five people in this church remember the events of World War II. That generation is being called home. Uh, they're often referred to as the greatest generation. I think Tom Brokaw probably coined that phrase, because of their sacrifice and commitment to duty. And if you want to understand what that was for these veterans, again, this is a picture from last June of the 75th anniversary of the D-Day invasion on Normandy, uh, there on June the 6th. Uh, If you want to understand what what duty and uh, sacrifice looks looks like, go to the 1998 film that starred Tom Hanks called Saving Private Ryan, and you can YouTube this, and go to the Omaha Beach scene. I remember when the movie came out, uh, Nightline uh, interviewed about uh, half a dozen or so World War II veterans at that time who were there uh, at Normandy Beach uh, on on June 6, 1945, uh, or 1944. And they asked them, does this depict what it was like? And without a doubt, everyone said they've never seen anything like that. I was tempted to show it. It's about a 10-minute clip, but you wouldn't, that's all you'd be thinking about the rest, of the, the rest of the time. It is very graphic. You don't want your kids to see it. It's very graphic of what that looked like. The thousands that day that never made it all the way to the beach, that never got past the barricades. The thousands that were killed that day on June 6, 1944. The concept of duty, just like their generation, is disappearing. Not only in culture, but also in the church. Duty is not only politically incorrect, uh, the very idea of someone doing something merely out of a moral or legal obligation is almost repugnant today. Whether that's staying married, whether that's paying off a loan, whether that's fulfilling an obligation, whether that's keeping one's word, whether that's even serving Christ in His church. And so it it begs the question, should we serve Christ merely out of duty? And, and, And again, the key there being merely, and my answer would be no. We shouldn't serve Christ merely out of duty. However... Should we serve Christ because it is our duty? And our text would answer a resounding yes. We shouldn't serve Christ merely out of duty. We should serve Christ out of love and out of gratitude. But should we serve Christ because it is our duty? And as we look at the text today, you can't walk away with any other answer but yes. In Luke 17, we've spent a lot of time in Luke 15 and 16. It's not that we're trying to uh, take you a journey through the gospel of Luke, but, but Luke is the gospel that contains a lot of the, the, the parables. In chapters 15 and 16, the audience was a broad audience. The audience not only included the, the, the disciples, the audience also included the, the Pharisees. And at times, some of, the, some, of the, some of the parables primarily focused upon the Pharisees. But in chapter 17 and verse 1, you see there, and he said to his disciples. Again, the audience has changed, and Jesus' instruction now is limited to the twelve. 
And as he's making this journey, as we talked about, this section of, of Luke that we're in is known as the Jerusalem journey. It, it, it's, it's a long journey. It's the final journey that Jesus makes to Jerusalem prior to his crucifixion. And on this journey to Jerusalem, Jesus has been instructing his disciples regarding their responsibility to him as a disciple. What does it look like to call oneself a follower of Jesus Christ? What does it mean? Christ is getting ready to leave. He knows he's getting ready to leave. And he's preparing the disciples for that time after he leaves and so that they have an understanding of what it means to follow Christ. Well, as we come to this parable that we read here today in verses 7 through 10, this parable is only found in Luke's gospel. You won't find this parable anywhere else. Another unique thing about this parable is it's told, this parable is told by asking questions. There's three short questions in this parable, verses 7 through 10. Two of them are rhetorical. The way that Jesus asks him, the Greek words that he uses to begin the question, lets us know that it's a rhetorical question. And, and, and Jesus uses the setting of this parable comes from a common practice in that culture. And I'll say this now and I'll say it again. It, the Jesus is not uh, 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 giving a, a, a thumbs up to that, this cultural practice. Jesus is not uh, 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 making commentary that he's a, in approval of this institution that was being practiced in this culture. He's just using this common practice in this culture at this time in the Roman Empire because it's something that people could relate with and understand exactly what he's talking about. And also in this parable, these questions are asked in a way that, ex- that the answers are obvious. Uh, The first question expects a no answer. The second question expects a yes answer. And and the last two questions are the rhetorical questions. And the word that he uses to introduce the question, he already lets them know, this is how you're supposed to answer the question. The answer to this question is yes. And then the last question is also a rhetorical question. And the expected answer is, the correct answer is no. Also, this parable not only asks three questions, but this, que- this parable also answers two questions. And the two questions that it answers is simply this. What is the obligation of a disciple to Christ? If I call myself a disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ, then what is my obligation to Him? And then secondly, what attitude should a disciple have when serving Christ? What is my obligation to Christ as it regards my service to Him? And what attitude should I have as I'm serving Christ? Also, this parable is not about unworthy servants. Now, that's how the ESV has translated it. Uh, When you look at the last part there in verse uh, 10, where it says, uh, Say, we are unworthy servants. Uh, He's not talking about unworthy servants here, but rather he's talking about unworthy slaves. This parable revolves around a slave who was the purchased possession of the master. He is somebody who is owned by somebody else. He's not a servant. He's not a day laborer. He's a slave. He's a slave. He does not have freedom. He belongs to somebody else. He's been purchased and bought and belongs to somebody else. As we said earlier, this is not a commentary on the institution of slavery. Jesus is not talking about, Jesus is not condemning slavery. Jesus in the institution as it existed in the Roman Empire. He's not not speaking in approval of it. He's not making, he's just basically using this. He's, He's using this to make the point that disciples of Jesus Christ are not hired servants. They're slaves. We don't hire out to Jesus. We are slaves. We are bond slaves who belong to him by reason of being purchased. Paul says, you have been bought with a price. I'm bought. I'm a child of God. I've been bought and paid for. If you you claim to know Christ as your Savior... And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been bought and paid for. You're not a servant. You're a slave. You're a slave. And that's even emphasized by the fact that the term that's translated servant here is the term doulos. Doulos. 
It's a bond slave. In fact, the word, if you are, if, when you read Paul's letters, this is the word that Paul uses more often than any other letter to describe himself. Paul, oftentimes we translate it, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. It's literally Paul, a doulos. Paul, a slave. Paul, a bond slave. When Paul refers to himself, very rarely does he refer to himself as an apostle, though he does do that and when he's defending his apostleship. Very rarely does he refer to himself as a, as a preacher or a pastor or a teacher. The phrase that Paul most often, how Paul identifies himself more than any other way is by saying, I'm a slave. I'm bought and I'm paid for. I'm a slave. Well, the outline here is simple and straightforward, just like the story. You have the parable proper, the parable itself. Three questions to ask in verses 7 through 9. And then you have the proper perspective, which is two questions answered in verse 10. So let's look at the text and let's look at the first, the first three verses there as, it looks, as we look at the parable proper or three questions asked. Jesus begins the parable by asking a question that literally would have been humorous. It would have been humorous to the twelve. It's the kind of question where if, if, this, if, if Jesus was asking us this question in this day and we lived in the same cultural setting that is here in this first century setting, if we lived in that same cultural setting and Jesus asked us that question, we would say something like this, well, duh, duh, of course, duh. Well, let, look at verse 7. Jesus asked the question, will any of you, will any of you, Who's the you? He's talking to the twelve. Will any of you who has a servant or a slave, let's just just translate, any of you who has a slave plowing or keeping sheep, say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table. So what's going on here? Well, the sun is set. As the sun is setting, the slave returns to the house. That slave from sunrise to sunset, has been out. He's been doing back-breaking work. He's been plowing fields. Now, plowing fields doesn't mean he's been sitting here behind on the John Deere in the air-conditioned cabin uh, listening to tunes you know, as he's, as he's rocking along. He's plowing like my dad used to plow when he was 13. Had a mule, had a strap, had one of them wooden plows, and spent all day behind that plow Back and forth for what? A buck a day? And he had to give 50 cents of it to his dad because it was his mule. That's the kind of plowing we're talking about here. The kind of plowing we're talking about. He's been all day doing that. He's been all day tending sheep. So how do you suppose he comes into the house after that? He's tired. He's sweaty. He smells. He's exhausted, and he's hungry. When he gets to the house, what happens next? He walks in, and the master says, Man, you've been working hard all day. Come, I have made, I mean, I know it's kind of cool outside. I've made the biggest pot of stew and some cornbread. And we've got some collard greens, and we've got some onions, and we've got, we got some, some, some beans and, and uh, soup beans. And I mean, we, we got all kinds. You come and you sit down and listen. You, here, here's some slippers. You know, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me wash your feet, and let, let, me, let, me, let me give you this towel to put around your neck to cool you down a little bit. And you just sit down, and you kick back, and you relax. And I'll turn on the Flintstones or something like that, you know, and, and, and we'll just enjoy our, you can just enjoy a good evening, relaxing meal. Does the master have the table set and a meal prepared for his slave who has labored out in the heat and elements all day? And when Jesus asks that question, the, the answer to that question is something like this. Of course not. None of you would do that. Why? Because you're the master. And he's the slave. It's not expected. That's not the way things are done. The slave goes out and, and the, the, what's, is, is the, the, the economic setting that's being talked about in, in this parable is somebody who's not very wealthy. All he has is one... He's got one servant doing everything. He, he's out in the field. 
He's, he's tending the sheep, and then he, when he comes in, he's got household duties as well. His, his duties don't end when the sun sets. His duties don't end when the sun sets. And he comes in. He comes in. And when Jesus asked that question, if, you were the, if we were sitting there, we'd have gone, <laughs> yeah, sure, Jesus, that would have happened. Of course it wouldn't have happened. No way. A master having everything, having supper ready for his servant? When, when that's the only servant, when that's the only slave that he has? You know, Jesus, you, you need to go on the, on, on the comedy circuit. You know, you need to be a stand-up comic. Because nobody, we, we, would, we would all laugh at that. Oh, that's ridiculous. Nobody would do that. Well, in verse 8, he asked this second question. And it's, and it's a rhetorical question. And, and the word that's used there, Jesus already let you know what the answer is going to be. The answer is going to be yes. And it relates to what actually would occur. Look at verse 8. Will he not rather say to him, and here's the question, prepare supper, or this is part of the question, will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Will he not rather say that? And the way, the words that he uses, the, 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 the word that he uses to, to, to begin this question is a word, it's rhetorical, and the answer is, yes. That's what we would, would happen. This slave comes in from the field. He smells like sheep. He's got dirt all on him, mingled with his sweat. He smells. He's exhausted. He might have, his blisters might be, he's got maybe blisters on his hands or places where he's been bleeding. His feet are tired. He's hungry. He's, exhaust, he's exhausted. But when he comes in, this slave is to continue serving by preparing dinner for his master, by dressing himself for service. He washes up. He cleans up. He changes from his field clothes to his butler clothes. And he serves the master. He waits upon his master for the entirety of the meal whether that master eats quickly or he eats slowly, he waits until he has ate his last bite, until he has, uh, he has uh, drank the last time, and then, and only then, the slave may eat. Hours after he's come in from the field. And then tomorrow, it starts all over again. It starts all over again. Jesus says, Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly? Serve me while I, am, while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? And the answer is, of course. That's exactly what would happen. In that culture, for that slave, and how that master would treat that slave, that's exactly the way life would be for that slave. Well, the third and final question is in verse 9. It's also rhetorical in nature. But unlike this second question, the word that's used there, the word may, the, first, the word that's expecting yes is the word uchi, or ouch. And, and this is, is may, and it's, it's no. It's, it, the answer is the no, no is the correct response. Look at verse 9. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? And the answer is No. No, he doesn't do that. Now think about that. With all the slave, with, with, all the, with all what the slave has done, he's worked in the field. He's plowed the field. He's tended the sheep. He's come home. He's made the meal. He's served the meal. He's cleaned up after the meal. With all, doing all of that, tired, but before he even gets to eat, He's done all of that and not even a thank you from the master. In fact, in that culture, and as Jesus is explaining this, not a one in our culture we would say, unfair! How cruel! In that culture, the slave doesn't even expect it. 
He's not waiting around saying, now what do you say? He's not expecting it. Not only is the slave not expecting it, in that culture, it doesn't even cross the master's mind to say thank you. There's no reason for him to say thank you. Why would I say thank you? Why indeed? Why would he? He wouldn't. Why? Because a master has the right to command his slave because he or she has been purchased by him. The master has the right. That person belongs to him. So he has the right to... Again, it's not a commentary on the institution. It's not a commentary on, 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 on the advocacy of slavery. Jesus is just using this cultural occurrence that is very common. So anywhere between, it's been estimated anywhere between 5 to 30% of the people in the Roman Empire were slaves. Depending upon whether it, was, uh, how, uh, whether it was in Italy or whether it was outside of Italy. But uh, the, the, slavery was not uncommon at all in that culture. Some 5 to 30% of, of, of the Roman Empire were slaves. This is not a, this, he's not making a commentary on the institution. He's just using something that was understandable by all to make a point that he's going to make in verse 10. Master has the right to command a slave because he or she has been purchased by him. Was that a fact in that culture? Yes, that's a fact. That's a fact. Don't, you don't expect to, the, master doesn't, the master is not expected to say thank you, and the slave doesn't expect to hear it. Secondly, it's the responsibility of the slave to discharge the responsibilities assigned to him by the master. He's obligated to do so. It's the obligation of the slave to discharge the responsibilities assigned to him by the master. The master says, do this, and the slave says, it's done. It's his obligation to do so. He's to carry out the responsibilities assigned to him by the master. Thirdly, the desires of the slave are subject to the desires of the master. The master's wishes come first. They always come first. I mean, you think about it. You've been out in the field working all day. Do you want to, field, or do you want to, do you want to feed the master, or do you want to feed yourself? I know what my desire would be. That sorry old sap. I've been out here working in his field all day. He's been at home watching the Flintstones, you know, or doing whatever. And now I've got to come in, and I've got, to, I've got to fix his meal. I've got to serve him, and I can't even eat until he's done. I'm a slave. My desires don't count. They don't count. The master's desires always, always, always comes first. And then finally, thankfulness is not required for fulfilling an obligation. Why didn't they thank him? He's just doing what he's supposed to do. He's just doing what he's supposed to do. I mean, we normally, even in our culture, we normally don't thank people when they just... I mean, when you go in and, and, and you make your house payment, do, they, do they, they send you a thank you card? No? When you pay your electric bill, do they send you a thank you card? When you go to court and pay your traffic ticket, do they thank you for paying your traffic ticket? Usually... Not, not all the time, but, but usually thankfulness is not required for fulfilling an obligation. And, and as Jesus ends with this third question, when he, says, uh, when, he, when he says here, does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? Jesus now is beginning to, to, make, to, to make the application. The third question also serves as the center of comparison that Jesus is going to make in his application, as he's going to apply this slave to the, the, uh, uh, this, the slave of this parable to the people he's speaking to, to his disciples. And here we see the proper perspective. Two questions answered. Jesus compares the slave and his servant to the disciples' service to God. This verse is structured like a sandwich. 
around three verbs. The verb is done, say, and done. And it's sir, the bun, the bun, it's a done bun, okay? The bun is done. And the meat is say. Look at, look at verse 10, and you can see it there in verse 10. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done what was our duty. There, there's, the, there's the verbal sandwich. Done, say, done. And in this structure, Jesus, is, Jesus answers two questions. He answers two questions. In this comparison, Jesus, the two questions that Jesus answers concerns the disciple service. It's answered and it's unpacked. The first question is this. What is the obligation of a disciple to Christ? That makes up the bun. That's the done bun, okay? It's the done bun. The first thing is, we are obligated to do all that God commands. Look at, look, look at the text again. He says, when you have done what? Some? A part? All that you were commanded. Okay? The second part deals with the fact that we are this obligation to obey is what we are supposed to do. We have only done what was our duty. Our duty. We've only done what was our duty. We are obligated to do all that God commands. This eliminates the possibility of choice regarding obedience. See, if I'm an employee, I can choose. Now, I might get fired, but I, I, I get to make a choice. If I'm a hired day laborer, I can choose whether or not I'm going to work for this person this day or I'm not going to work for this person this day. I get to choose. But because we are slaves, we don't get to choose. I don't get to negotiate with Jesus where I get to obey and where I don't get to obey. I'm a slave. I don't have a choice. I have no choice when it comes to obedience. None. I have no choice when it comes to obedience because I'm the slave and he's the master. Not only do I have no choice, but I can't refuse. There's no refusal. This obligation to obey is what we are supposed to do. As it's translated, uh, it's translated that way in the Net Bible. We have only done what we are supposed to do. The idea of it there. When we are supposed to, and it eliminates the possibility of refusing, of refusal regarding obedience. You know, during the holidays when you're driving around, you know, you see it on those signs, no refusal weekend. You know, the, D, the DWI or the DUI stuff. In other words, if they pull you over and they think you've been drinking and they tell you you've got to blow, you've got to blow. You can't refuse. It's no refusal weekend. And it's not like that's happened to me the last holidays. That's not why I know about it, okay? Uh, but but it's, it's, it's a no refusal weekend. You've got to do it. No refusal. It's the same way with obedience here. There's no refusal. Not only do I not get to choose, pick and choose what I want to obey, I don't get to say, God, I'm simply not going to do it. Now, I can say that, but when I say that, I'm immediately violating my position as a slave. I'm immediately in rebellion against the master because he's the master and I'm the slave. I don't, have the, I, don't get the, I don't get the opportunity or the privilege to choose, nor do I get the opportunity or the privilege to refuse. I can't choose and I can't refuse because I'm the slave and he's the master. So what's the obligation of a disciple to Christ? You are to obey Him in all things. All things. You can't choose what you're going to, what, what, where you're going to obey, and you can't refuse to obey. That's my obligation. Well, that sounds kind of... I mean, honestly, I don't like that. But what should my attitude be as a disciple while serving Christ? And that's the meat in the middle. Look at it, he says. He says, so also when you've done all that you were commanded, say, we 
are unworthy servants. There's the meat. The done and the done. I can't choose, because I'm a slave, I can't choose what I'm going to obey, and I can't refuse to obey. The meat in the middle is, I see myself, I say, after, after I do, after I fulfill His commands completely, what my attitude is, is I'm to view myself as an unworthy slave. That's my attitude. Why am I, what, what does it mean to be unworthy? What is meant by an unworthy slave? I think the Net Bible translates, the translation in the Net Bible best conveys the meaning. The Net Bible translates it this way. Say, we are slaves undeserving of special praise. That's the idea. When I've done all that Christ has commanded, I've done all that He's commanded for me to do, and I've done what was my duty to do, no choice, no refusal. I've done what I'm supposed to do. When I've done all that He's commanded, and I've done what I'm supposed to do, my attitude is, I don't deserve anything special. There's no reason for special praise. I'm undeserving of any special praise. Why am I undeserving of any special praise? Because I'm the slave and He's the master. He told me to do it. And as a slave, I'm required to do it. I'm to put His desires first. And I just did what I was supposed to do. What's so praiseworthy about doing what you're supposed to do? About doing your duty. That's the point Jesus drives home to the twelve. But now, let's, let's stop and think for a second. As followers of Jesus Christ, and you've heard me say it, we serve out of love and gratitude. We ought to serve Christ because He first loved us. We ought to serve Christ because we're grateful. I mean, you think, what would life be like without Christ? And so we serve Him out of love and we serve Him out of gratitude, but we, we, we completely take a penknife and take this section of Scripture out of the Bible when we don't also realize that we also serve Him out of duty. We have an obligation to serve Him. You know, we, 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 serve, him out of, we serve Him out of duty, out of respect for who He is. We serve Him out of love and gratitude, out of appreciation for, for what He's done for our lives. But we serve Him for, for, for all those reasons. I mean, there's things that I do for Lisa because I, I love her and I, I'm appreciative of her. And there's sometimes there's things I do simply because it's what I'm supposed to do. Last night, I mean, this, usually I tell stuff where I have to ask for forgiveness. She had to ask for forgiveness last night. One of the rare occasions, but she did, okay? She did. And she just said something, and she was, and you know, and how I was walking to the refrigerator, and she asked me a question, and I answered it, and then she asked me the same exact question because she didn't like my answer. Why are you doing this? And I said, this is why I'm doing this. And then she said, why are you doing this? And it was the same exact answer. And I'm getting frustrated because, you know, you didn't believe me the first time. What I'm thinking is you didn't believe me the first time. And she got frustrated with me. And I'm standing there, and I, I, I'm going... Okay, Greg, you can either escalate this or you can just let it go. You can let it go. And for once in my life, I let it go. Now, I had a lot of things I wanted to say, but I let it go. Why? Because it was the right thing. It wasn't out of love and gratitude for my sweet wife. Because right then at that time, she wasn't loving and she wasn't sweet. And I was kind of upset that she was my wife. <laughs> but I did it because it was the right thing to do. The, verses, the verse that I memorized this week is Proverbs 8.1. Now, it's a strange verse to memorize. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise your voice? You say, why in the world would you memorize something like that? 
Because when you look at the chapters around it, here's basically what this verse is saying. No matter what situation you find yourself in, wisdom is crying out to you to behave in a wise way. I can either follow the way of the unchaste wife, the, unchaste, the strange woman in chapter 7, and give in to my feelings, give in to my emotions, give in to that which pleases the flesh, or I can choose wisdom's way and experience life in abundance. I didn't do anything out of life. I did it out of duty. But you know what? By the time I hit, by the time I walked back into the living room, before I sat down, Lisa said, Craig, I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? She does it a whole lot quicker than I do. And I said, yeah, baby, I will. I said, you've forgiven me for a whole lot more and for a whole lot worse. <laughs> I certainly can forgive you for this. She said, I'm glad you realized that. <laughs> and that, that kind of... That kind of upped the temperature a little bit, you know. We had, we had to work away through some other things. But, but anyhow, I digress. Sometimes we just serve because it's the right thing to do. Jesus Christ is our master who has redeemed us and purchased us, not with money, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, as Peter writes. We have the responsibility and obligation to do all He commands, submitting our desires to His. And while we are doing that, possessing the attitude that after we have obeyed, we are merely slaves, undeserving of special praise. But guess what? Even though all that is true, and that's the way we should live our lives, yet the master of the universe chooses to heap praise on slaves who will serve Him faithfully. We don't deserve it. We need to serve with the attitude that even after we've obeyed, we've merely done our duty. We've just done what is... is, There's nothing... And there should be no special praise. We've merely done our duty. Yet our master chooses to heap... I like that. because To heap praise on slaves. He heaps praise on slaves who serve him faithfully. Do you remember as we've gone through this, this lengthy study on the parables, do you remember the three broad categories of rewards found in the parable of the faithful household slave in Luke 12? Turn back to Luke 12. Turn back to Luke 12. Remember this parable of the faithful household slave. And look at what Jesus says in verse 37. Blessed are those slaves. ESV translates it servants. But again, the the idea, it's the word doulos. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds awake when he comes. They're faithful. They're alert. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself. Who's dressing himself for service? The slave? The master. It's a role reversal. In Luke 17, the master says, Dress yourself for service and serve me. In Luke 12, Jesus says, The master will dress himself for service for the household slaves, the faithful household slaves, and say to them and have them recline at table and He will come and serve them. And it just, it's just the opposite of what, what is natural, what we should expect. If He comes in the second watcher and the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants, those slaves. But know this, that if the master of the house had not known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Then drop down and look at verse 44 after Peter asks the question, Are you telling this parable for us or for all? Then Jesus says, Who then is that faithful and wise manager? Uh, He's talking about that steward, that faithful household slave, who his master will set over his household to give him their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed is that slave 
whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Remember what those three things, the three broad categories of reward are? Enhanced intimacy, fellowship, and celebration with God. Being bidden to the banquet, come and sit down and recline there in verse 37. Honor and praise from Christ, where we hear, well done, thou good and faithful slave. And, and, and we're, we're served by Christ himself. You would expect the slave to dress himself for service. But the master dresses himself for service and ministers to the slave. Why? Because that slave has been faithful. He's done nothing to deserve special praise. But because he has served his master faithfully, because he's walked in the commands of his master, the master who is unlike any other master that this earth could ever think of, chooses to dress himself for service and serve the slave. And he also gives him expanded opportunities to serve him and minister during the kingdom. I still am a slave during the kingdom. But if I'm a faithful slave here, my opportunities expand in the kingdom. And not only am I a slave to Christ then, but I'm also ruler. I also rule and reign with him. I rule and reign with him. Wow. I'm a slave. I'm to do all that He commands. I have no choice. I don't get to pick and choose. I don't get to refuse. And when I do it, I've done nothing special. Because it's what I'm supposed to do. I belong to Him. He's bought me. He's purchased me. I am His possession. He's bought me with His blood. But because God is so different from us, He chooses to heap praise on slaves. And our intimacy will be enhanced. Our celebration will be joyous. We'll experience expanded opportunities in the kingdom to serve Him. And we'll receive honor and praise from Him. Why in the world do do I struggle at obeying Him? But I do. Because I live in this body of flesh. My mind is still corrupted. My heart is still bent towards sin. And I need His power at work in my life. As followers of Master Jesus, we are all undeserving of special praise. All of us. Yet, our Master chooses to praise those who in this life will serve Him out of love and gratitude and serve Him out of duty. Because it's simply the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. When Lisa was verbally attacking me, it was the right thing for me to do. To just let it go and let the Spirit of God I mean, when I sat down in my chair, I thought, man, this stuff really works. (laughs) It really works. I let God work on her heart because I was, I was, I think God, I mean, she hadn't said anything yet. I think I'm, I think I probably need to help you a little bit to get her, get her to see her sinful ways. I didn't have to say a word. I sat down. I know she's trying to give me a heart attack or something. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. I sat down. Gosh, Greg, you think you learned this by now. But God will do amazing things. I know in our culture, and I know in, 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 in uh, our attitudes that and just, because of our, just because of our human nature, being a slave is not what we... You know, who are you? Well, I'm, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. That's not... There's nothing cool sounding about that. But that's what God has called us to do. May He help us to do it. And may we fulfill what is our obligation to do. And as we do it, we recognize that there's nothing special about it. We're slaves... And He's the Master. And we serve Him not only out of duty, but out of gratitude and love. And even though we don't deserve anything special, He's chosen 
to reward those who will be faithful slaves of his on this earth. Wow. Wow. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you're, you're, you're a slave. You say, well, I don't want to be a slave to God. Well, you're still a slave. Scripture says we're, we're either a slave to God or we're a slave to our own desires. One of the two. Everybody in here is a slave. You're a slave to one of two things. You're a slave to Christ or you're a slave to sin through your own desires. There's no, no other option. And when we are slaves to our own desires, we, we think that it's going to lead to life. And that's the point of Proverbs chapter 8. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise your voice? We, we think that, that it will be getting exactly what we want because we're fulfilling our desires, but we don't understand that the fulfillment of our desires is the path to death. It's the path to death. We might have a good time, but we're still on that path to death. And that's the path we're all on until we come to Christ as our Savior. What are you trusting in to make yourself acceptable to God? It can't be coming to church. It can't be reading your Bible. It can't be enjoying uh, coming to church or being baptized. It's the fact that you have a relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. You put your faith and trust in who Jesus is and what Jesus did on that cross to make you acceptable to Him. And by repentance and faith, repentance of your sin and faith in Christ, you can have a relationship with the Father through Him. And for those of us who are saved, Slavery is not easy. But Jesus said, All ye that labor and are heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. For my yoke, his yoke of slavery, is easy. The way of the transgressor, Scripture says, is hard. The way of the transgressor is hard, but the yoke of slavery under Christ is easy. And my burden is light. It's light. I encourage you today that we all might recommit ourselves as faithful, unworthy slaves to our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow. Father, we do thank you for this time and we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for its depth. We thank you for its simplicity. We thank you, Father, that we don't have to scratch our heads and not be aware of what it's calling us to do. So, Father, I pray that you would help us all today to recommit ourselves to you as unworthy slaves. And Father, that you would help us in our service towards you, that we would quit trying to choose which commands we're going to obey and which commands we're not. That, Father, we'll, we'll stop refusing. We'll, we'll, just, we'll just give our lives to you and stop refusing to obey it all. Father, that way is the way of death. It's the way of death. Father, following you is the way to life. It doesn't mean life's going to be easy. It doesn't mean we don't face difficult challenges. It doesn't mean that sometimes things are just really awful circumstantially. But there is a peace. There is a contentment. There is a confidence that... There's a purpose, and that purpose is meant for my good. It will grow me in a way that not experiencing it couldn't grow me. And Lord, that's hard. I think about some of the things in my life that I've experienced and that I'm experiencing now. Make that statement almost sound cruel. But you are worthy, as Jubal said earlier, you are, you are infinitely worthy of our praise. We can trust you. We can rest in you. Even though we don't understand you, we can trust you. And when we don't, thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for increasing our faith. Thank you for being faithful 
even when we are faithless. And what's even more astounding about the fact that you as the master of the universe heap praise on slaves is that no, none of your slaves has ever been completely faithful. None of us have. None of us. But when we seek to walk in a way of faithfulness, we, we still fail. But our lives are pointed in the direction of trying to live a faithful life to you. That we receive blessing from you because of it. Father, we thank you for who you are and for your work of grace in all of our lives. And we pray, Father, that we might leave here today with a greater awe of who you are as our master, a better understanding of what it means for us to have been bought and purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, and that we're not day laborers, we're not employees, we're not entrepreneurs, we're slaves. Help us to serve you out of duty. Help us to serve you out of love and gratitude. That it's not an either or, that it's a both and. And in doing so, Father, that our hearts and that our attitude would recognize the fact that because of our own failures, because of our lack of faithfulness, and because of your faithfulness, when we do obey you, there's nothing praiseworthy about it. You gave us the strength, you gave us the ability. There's nothing special about our walk of obedience. But still, you, as the master of the universe, heap praise on slaves who strive to be faithful. What kind of God are you? You are beyond our understanding of grace and mercy and wisdom, compassion, and justice, and righteousness, and holiness. There truly is none like you. Bring us to our knees. Bring our hearts to our knees today. Help us to bow before our Master and our King. And yield ourselves to you not because we get to choose to be a slave, but because we are your slave. So, Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us and for who you are. Continue your work of grace in our lives. Show us where we are rebelling against you. Father, bring us to the place of repentance. And bring us to the place of faithful service to you. Thank you for your patience with us. For we pray these things in Christ's name through the Spirit. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed. As you know, we don't have an altar call, but we do have an invitation. I don't know what your need is today, but we want to give you that opportunity to speak with God about it. So let's go to the Lord in a time of silence. And we'll give you an opportunity to talk to the Lord.